for your word. We thank you that you are a, a, just such a good God to us. And today as we hear once again the great news of knowing you, uh, the good news of the gospel, we pray that we'd hear it, we'd respond to it, um, we would uh, trust in you. And um, Lord, we thank you for all the good things you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Gertrude said to her friend over coffee, I'm leaving my husband, he's a really good faithful guy and all, but I just don't love him anymore. It was a tough decision, but I have to stand by my truth. I wonder what you think of that phrase, my truth. If you've heard of it before. Uh, Ever since um, Oprah Winfrey, I'll just get my clicker going here, there we go, Oprah Winfrey's well-publicised Me Too speech at the Golden Globe Awards in uh, 2018. The phrase, my truth, uh, your truth, speak your truth, as Oprah put it, has become, well, more and more popular. You see it used more and more. There's even a, a Calvin Klein ad. I don't know if you've seen the ad. It was quite well known when it came out, where ridiculously good-looking, famous people uh, dance around and pose in their undies and tell the camera, this is my truth. Now, I had to look far and wide to find a, a sensible photo for church with this ad, let me tell you. It, was not, it wasn't easy. Now, for the life of me, though, I can't... Someone might be able to explain to me at the end, but I can't work out the difference between truth and undies. I can't get it. I don't know. So it's, it's a very slick ad. It has um, uh, Billie Eilish playing in the background and everything. It's pretty... That's a well-known pop singer, if you don't know her. Um, but truth and undies, I don't know. Maybe we all need them. There we go. That might be it. That might be it. A family came onto it. Okay. Now, the, here's, how, here's how the Urban Dictionary... The Urban Dictionary defines the term... A pretentious substitute for non-negotiable personal opinion. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then it goes on. This is a convenient phrase for avoiding arguments because people can contradict your opinion but not your truth. True, hey? Interesting. <laughs> now, to be fair... <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> to be fair, though... <clears throat> Uh, speak your truth, that phrase, I, I think seems to me, it, it, I think it comes from a good spot. Being, maybe I'm being too generous, but maybe not, I don't know. In other words, to be, it's, about, it's about being brave to speak, uh, to share your experiences and your opinions and to, well, to simply speak up. And so, uh, yes, that can be very subjective, but that's not a bad thing in that, in that sense. But it's not always what's needed, is it? What truly matters are facts, the true state of the matter. That's how the Macquarie Dictionary defines truth. Not alternative facts (laughs) or fake news, so to speak, uh, to quote another popular phrase. Now, what's this got to do with Joel, the book of Joel, the series we started last week? Well, it's a good question. Glad you asked and thank you for that. Uh, Last week's message was a hard message. 
Now, if you missed last week's message, don't forget each week you can catch up by logging on and searching on YouTube, uh, Robertson Burrowing, Burrowing Anglican Church, and you'll find last week's sermon there. Um, I record the 6 p.m. service. So uh, you'll find it there and you can catch up. So if you didn't get it, you can still go back and, and watch it. I encourage you to do that, but I'll give you a bit of a summary anyway. <clears throat> so last week's message, yeah, it, it was hard. We talked about the reality of the judgment of God, that sin matters and that disasters, and the example in chapter 1 and 2 of Joel was this locust plague, disasters are a preview. They, are, they foreshadow the main event, God's judgment on the world, uh, the day of the Lord, a co- common phrase that pops up in Joel. Joel 1 told us that disasters, whether that's COVID-19 or accidents or just when things go belly up in life, disasters are a wake-up call. They remind us of a much greater disaster coming for those who do not escape it. It's a wake-up call for, for us to respond. We saw it right at the end of, chapter, well, end of last week, to respond by turning to God and gathering together in repentance turning and gathering that's why this meeting is so important now here's the thing about speaking the truth or speaking sorry speaking your truth (laughs) here's the thing about that so I haven't forgotten I'm going to come back to it but when it comes to God's judgment it'll always be easier and possibly more comforting to define God how I like to my truth about God I'll speak my truth about God thanks very much uh, now, scholars might call that liberal theology. That is, well, the, you know, God's just a cuddly grandpa that I call on when I, when I need something. My truth about God. But the facts, the state of the matter, is that, that God does and will judge sin. And it's not uncommon for us to become spiritually drowsy when we talk about God, when, we, when, we, when God's judgment comes up. Now, if that was you, <coughs> excuse me, God's word says to us, wake up. Don't be spiritually drowsy when it comes to the judgment of God. And friends, that, that, that's a true message that we need to hear, that we needed to hear last week, and maybe, maybe today, because the, the seriousness of sin and judgment is a darkness we had to understand and see because we can never understand and know the light, the love of God, without seeing the darkness. Now today is about that light. It's going to be good, I hope. And today, just like last week, is about truth. It's not about my truth, if I can use that term. It's about God's truth. It's about the true state of the matter. So, Well, you might remember from last week, if you've got your Bible open, I hope you do bring your Bible each week. Um, Because of COVID restrictions, we can't provide you with a Bible. So I'll get it on your phone, your iPad, or or I used to make, I like to make the joke, a real Bible. Um, Anyway, uh, but bring a Bible, no matter what it looks like. Last week, we saw that 2 verse 12 was a, well, it's it's a turning point in Joel. It's like a hinge that the book turns on. Uh, return to me with all your heart, says the Lord. So when we come to 2 verse 18 to 32, which our, is our passage today, we read of what God does, what God will do when we turn to him, when we return to him with all our heart. 
We read what God does and what God will do when we return to him in faith. We'll look at four ways that the gospel is better than you think. It's really good. (laughs) So, here's the first. When we return to God in faith, God says he'll love you more than the rest of the world. 2, 18 to 20. See verse 18, God is a jealous God. Now, most of us would think um, of jealousy as a bad thing, right? We, we tend to think of it as a vice rather than a virtue. So, like envy, you know, wanting something that we do not have and that belongs to others. But to be jealous for something that belongs exclusively to us is a godly form of jealousy, especially when that which belongs to us is being threatened by another. A husband shows godly jealousy when another man makes advances towards his wife or threatens his children. It's a touch them and I'll take you down form of jealousy. I say to my two boys, if this is sexist, live with it. Um, I say to my two boys, you're allowed to get in a fight only when you're protecting your sister and your mother. That's it. It's a godly form of jealousy because they are his. They belong with him. Touch them, harm them, and I'll harm you. They belong with me. That's the type of jealousy God has for his people. Touch them, and I'll take you down. And that's a sense that God is jealous for his people and for the, for the land he gave them. See, when God's people give to false gods the worship that belongs to the Lord alone, he's jealous. When a foreign army invades the land God gave his people, he's jealous. And because of his love for his people, verse 18 still, he takes pity on them. That's compassion on them, on his people. And we see in verse 19, judgment then is replaced with blessing. Never again, he says, never again will God's people be an object of scorn to the nations. Look at verse 20. I will drive the northern army from you, pushing it into, the, into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea. That's that eastern sea. Its western ranks will, in, in the Mediterranean Sea, that's the western sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Now, last night, uh, just after I watched a depressing game of rugby with the Wallabies, um, of course, Lord of the Rings was on, as it tends to happen every Saturday night. I don't know why. But there, there, there are these armies from Mordor or something, wherever they're from, these orcs, you know, invading army. This has a bit of that picture, doesn't it, going on? And the stench. It's a bit of a grisly picture of the death of this army. Remember? Touch them and I'll take you down. But whoever they are, this army, you see, they've threatened God's people. And he's jealous for his people, and so they'll be driven away, taken down. Friends, here's a truth at the heart of the Bible's message to us as sinners. God says to believers, he says to an enemy of God's people, whether that's the devil or whoever, you touch them, I'll take you down. Now, ultimately, that is his word. It's a good word. Well, the next thing God, th- God says to those who return to him in faith is this. It's our number two in our little outline there. God says he will give you joy 
in the new heavens and new earth. So look at me with um, verses 21 through to 24. It's a call to rejoice. But see, who is, who is called to rejoice? So verse 21, do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Verse 22, do not be afraid, you wild animals. Verse 23, be glad, people of Zion. That's a God's people, Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God. So who is called to rejoice? Well, the land, the animals, the people, creation. See, ever since Adam and Eve ate that bit of fruit in the Garden of Eden, uh, back in Genesis chapter 3, it's recorded there, sin has stained, or the, the biblical word actually is, sin has cursed creation. Now, Romans 8 tells us that creation groans with the effects of sin on the world. On, on, so it's natural disasters, for example, but it's, but it's our misuse and overuse and abuse of God's creation as well. And so for this reason, Romans 8 continues and says, creation eagerly awaits the return of Jesus and the removal of sin and its effect on the world. Joel 2, 21 to 24, looks forward to that day. These verses are a poetic description of the created order, restored and, and redeemed and recreated. Here's a poetic description of the, what the Bible calls the new creation, heaven. New heavens and a new earth, Isaiah puts it that way. But you know, in God's goodness, sometimes God gives us tastes, little foretastes of this of his redeemed, uh, restored, recreated world. Little tastes of heaven on earth. Uh, Just a taste so we can look forward to the main meal. So, back in verses 21 and 24, green pastures, trees bearing fruit, abundant rains for bumper harvests, vats overflowing with new wine and oil. Little tastes of heaven. Healthy, loving relationships, peace, good health. This gathering, church, little tastes of heaven, little tastes as we prepare for the main meal. They're really good. Okay, number three then. So our first two ones, well, God says he'll love you more than the rest of the world. God says he'll give you joy in the new heavens and the new earth. Number three then, in the third way, the gospel is so much better than we think. When we turn back to God in faith, God says he'll make up to you all the damage of sin in your life. Now, last week I made a little joke that, um, look, let's be honest, no one's going to use the first first half of the book of Joel in some Christian catalogue on little nice little comforting verses and cards you might give for someone or a Christian calendar you know you're not going to find verses from Joel chapter 1 and 2 generally in in that little calendar that you might buy at Coorong but 2 verse 25 well they may well use that and I reckon for good reason I reckon it's so good you'd print 2 verse 25 on every month of your Christian little calendar you buy at Coorong Let me explain why. 2 verse 25, I think, is the gospel preached in the Old Testament. Look at what God promises to people. Uh, It's an anticipation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Verse 25, chapter 2. 
I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts, the young locusts. He echoes chapter 1, verse 4, if you want to flick back to that in your Bible. It's the same word, same locusts. 1 verse 4 tells us that these locusts have eaten everything. Nothing is spared. You might remember last week, I I read this description of a locust plague ripping through, uh, it was from the National Geographic in 1915, ripping through Palestine, Syria, uh, sort of Israel, that area. Uh, Incredible description. Nothing's left behind. Nothing. Nothing is spared. But then in 2 verse 25, God precisely turns that on its head and says, I'm going to repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. I think this is the one of the most precious promises in the Old Testament. Joel spoke to people who for year after year had seen their land, their livelihood, their lives ravaged by these locusts. Surely they despaired. Surely they despaired. They despaired of ever seeing prosperity again, seeing crops successful again and no doubt they would have looked at their lands and wondered will they ever see this land flourish will the scars heal it is a vivid picture friends of how some people feel in life isn't it because when we're brought low don't we look back at the years that the locusts have eaten don't we look back at sin and see its effect in our lives And ask, can it be made good? Don't we? For others, it might be the scar, well, for some, it might be the scars of childhood. Uh, When we look back at them and we, we, we think, can that ever be retrieved? Can it ever be made good? For others, it may be the 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 scars or damage of sin that, that sin's done in a marriage or in relationship with your children. or or parents, or something gone wrong in the workplace, whatever it might be, we look back and and it may not necessarily be be our sin, it might be another person's sin, it might be just a whole bunch of just sin all mixed up together. And so we look back at the years the locusts have eaten. Now I tell you, isn't that a vivid picture of human pain? Isn't it? I think it is. Of human despair? of what sin has ravaged in our lives. See, I want us to understand the promise of the gospel in 2 verse 25. I will repay you, God says, for the years the locusts have eaten. See, repay is a legal term uh, for making good damages. Now, God doesn't owe us anything. We don't think that. Repayment of damages. The damage of human sin in our lives is not his fault. But because the Lord Jesus died on the cross, God promises us in the gospel that he will repay every cent of the damage done by sin in our lives. Whether it's our lives, our sin or the sin of others, every cent. He will make the damage good. He will heal the scars of sin. And in verse 26 and 27, that shame will be taken away. In the new heavens and the new earth, we won't look back and despair at sin or the effects of it. So it means the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament can say, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What did he do? He, and, and he endured the shame of the cross, scorning its shame. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
See, isn't the gospel wonderful? Isn't it wonderful what Jesus has done for us? It's so much better than we think. God will make up the damage of sin. All right, well, one more thing God does when we turn to him in faith. Let's look at this last one. It comes from verse 28 to 32. God will pour out his spirit in you. You'd remember again from our, if you've been here a few weeks ago in our studies in Acts, we looked at Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes this passage directly at uh, Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was given to all believers. Uh, that, day, that day in Jerusalem was the fulfilment of this promise in Joel. So here's the first thing we ought to note, though, that, 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 uh, that is that in verses 28 to 32, those verses answer the important question that's anticipated in verse 27. Do you see it? How will we know God's people will never be shamed? How do we know that? Well, it's because God will pour out his spirit on them. That's how we know that. God will give believers his spirit. First, without distinction. Without distinction of age, gender, class, whatever, all people, all believers, and not just prophets. But remember in the Old Testament, the Spirit was given at, at particular times and particular places to speak the Word of God. But now, well, all believers, without distinction, irrespective of experience, whatever, believers receive the Spirit. And remember Peter, after, this is Peter in Jerusalem, Acts 2, after quoting Joel 2, 28 to 32, Peter said to the hordes of people gathered in Jerusalem, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's very, very clear, very, very simple, really. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you'll receive the Spirit. The Spirit of God in you. It's poured out in you. That's a really good thing. Second, the Spirit is poured out into believers in a world at war. Have a look at verses 30 and 31. Verses 30 and 31 use what the Bible scholars call apocalyptic imagery. So imagery, a sort of end time imagery. It's one way to look at it as well. So the blood represents suffering. Fire is the fire of war and, and smoke. And remember, even just this time last year, there were bushfires everywhere around New South Wales. What colour was the sun? Very red, wasn't it, from the smoke? And at night, now not so much Robbo, but certainly not far from here, uh, at night the moon, if it was out, I don't know if it was cloudy or not, uh, but if it was out, the moon in bushfires turns red, doesn't it, from the smoke. And that's what's being, wars, smoke, fire, that's what's being uh, uh, described here. Suffering such as this is what God tells us will happen in these last days. Another sort of Bible term, but the last days simply mean the, da the days between Jesus' resurrection and when he returns. So we live in the last days, so did the Apostle Paul, for example. It's indicative of those last days as we wait for the return of Jesus. Wars, natural disasters and the like. So why here? What's Joel's point? What's the Apostle's point when he quotes this in full? in the context of the gift of the Spirit. Well, God pours out his Spirit onto Christian believers in a world at war, in a world full of disasters. He doesn't pour out his Spirit so that we might be taken out of war. You notice that? Nor so that we might not face disasters or when life goes belly up. He doesn't pour out his Spirit so we can escape and have a comfortable life. No, no, he gives us the gift of the Spirit in the context of a world that is troubled, whether that's COVID-19, terrorism, 
unemployment, poverty, wars, rumours of wars. Into this troubled world, the Holy Spirit is poured into our lives so that we can live godly lives, so that we can hear God's word and respond, so that we can encourage one another, and so on. And finally, you see, there's, there's safety for all those who call, on, who, are, who, who call on and are called by the Lord. See verse 32, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as Romans 10 says, this is what Adele read to us a few moments ago, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't know if you remember last week, right at the end of 2 verse 11, uh, there was this question, who, it's on the same page here, who can endure the day of the Lord? Who can endure God's judgment? And the answer is, no human can endure God's judgment. You can't, except one, the Lord Jesus. You see, unless we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, who is our substitute, who died for us on the cross, who endured God's wrath on the cross for us, if we call on the name of the Lord, only then can we be, be safe. Only then can we escape God's judgment. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Safe from the enemies of God. Loved more than any other. Rejoicing in the hope of the new heavens and new earth. The damage of sin removed. Friends, that is the state of the matter. That is the truth. That's the gospel. Uh, the gospel really, really is so much better than we think. Friends, if you haven't already, I reckon today's the day. Today's the day to turn back to God and put your trust in Him. Uh, now, if you'd like to do that, and if you'd like to talk to someone about that, come and chat to me. I'm a, I'll hang around here at the end of the service. Um, or if you'd like to chat with the person you came with today, that's a good move too. But surely after what we've heard today, today's got to be the day to put your trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then um, we'll see if there's any... Any comments or questions? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. We'll see how we go and, um, and then uh, we'll continue our service. Well, actually today we're going to be celebrating and remembering the death of Jesus on the cross for us. And so in a moment we'll invite the kids back in again. So let's pray. Father, we, um, we do, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus we are safe. We are safe from your judgment, your righteous judgment on us because Jesus died for us. We thank you that we are safe from the enemies of God. We thank you, Lord, that you love us more than any other. We thank you for the real and certain hope we have of a new heavens and a new earth. And we thank you for the damage of sin removed. Uh, Lord, this is the truth. It is a great truth. And Lord, we pray that we'd hear it today and that we'd come to you in, in repentance and faith. We thank you for your good gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so if you're with us here for the first time today, we, um, yeah, we have a, a question and answer sort of time, um, question and comment time. Sometimes we just look at each other awkwardly, and that's good fun too. Um, but sometimes we have some good questions. Actually, whenever we have good questions, they're good. Now, while you're thinking about sharing a question, a comment, a word of encouragement. Uh, I just want to say too, on, our, uh, on your bulletin that you've got, if you didn't get a bulletin, there's a, there's, they're floating around on the seats. So make sure you pick one up. But if you're, um, uh, if you're visiting or here for the first time, you might want to fill out one of these comment cards. There's a white little box on the back wall there 
uh, that you can um, put this comment card in and give us your details if you want to keep in touch with all things going on in the church. So that's your decision too. Now, while I just fill in time while you're thinking about asking a question or making a comment, the other thing I want to tell you about too is at the back white table there next to the comment card that you'll fill in on the little comment card sheet here if you'd like to fill in with your... Anyway. Um, Next to that table, next next to the comment card box is a table with a card that I'd like you to sign that says um, thank you John and Amy and Lily and you can write a little message there. Don't use a like a big huge pen that fills up the whole page because there's got to be about a hundred of us who write something there. So you might just want to write your name and say John are you a top bloke? You know maybe even just top bloke. I don't know um, or you know Amy you're wonderful whatever. Just have, wonderful might be two word longer word. I don't know. Please sign it. All right is that enough killing time? Did you get it? Okay good. Sienna's had enough, haven't you? Yeah, you have. Fair enough, I've had enough too. Has anyone got any questions or comments? Now there'll be nothing, I've been talking too long. Any questions or comments or um, words of encouragement? Clearly I spoke for too long. Okay, that's all right. Let's uh, let's continue our service, but what we'll have to do, we'll take a little bit of a break. Um, and don't forget, if you do have a question you don't want to ask publicly, uh, please get in t- contact with me or, yes, put it on the comment sheet. Um, we're going to take a little break because we'll come and retrieve kids from where. So what we do for church here when we celebrate um, the Lord's Supper together, when we, re- when we remember Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, sorry, his death on the cross for us, his blood and, and body uh, given for us on the cross, we get our family together and then parents, it's up to you to talk your kids through it and make sure they understand my general rule is that if your uh, parents, you decide, if your parents, if your kids are old enough to understand what's going on, then they, they should share it with us. Um, you decide whether they're old enough to do that. Uh, so, Jono, would you mind going and grab the kids over there? And parents, if you want to retrieve your young ones from the crash, we'll take a few minutes break. If you want to stand up and have a stretch, then we'll come together and remember Jesus together in this way.